Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. How y'all feeling? Good. Hey, um, before we get into this announcement from Pastor Corey, if there's anyone in the room who's using their blessing to get an ice bath, we'll have prayer for you right after service. (laughs) Uh, I will not be getting an ice bath, David. Yeah, weird. No. (laughs) It is so good. um, So good to be here with y'all today. Um, Before we jump into the word, Heights, I just want to take advantage of this moment to thank you for your partnership in the gospel with us at Faith Community. You guys have been not only financially supporting Faith Community for the last several years, um, but also through prayer. You know, quick update, we're launching a second campus, sending out our third planter um, next year. So, so excited about that. And, and, and I, I want to tell you that because I want, when, you're, when you say, when your pastors say that you guys value gospel, community, and mission, it goes far beyond Collinsville and even reaches over on um, the right side of the river. So I <laughs> just wanted to make sure I said that. No. Uh, <laughs> so, so thank you. Thank you guys for for partnering with us. I'm, I'm glad to be here today and to, and to get this uh, not necessarily for the topic, but just to be here with y'all. I'm just happy to be here. When David asked me to come and gave me the topic, I thought I was being punked or something. Um, but, but it really shows not only their trust in me, but their, their, their trust in the Lord to allow someone else to come and to share in this. So, so to your pastors, I, I love you guys, and I'm grateful for, for the privilege to be here to share today. Bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, we love you. We make it known that there is none like you. Heaven and earth adores you. You deserve all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And to know, God, that you allow us to gather corporately to give your name glory is breathtaking. So I pray that You will unplug our ears, chisel our hearts, give us all strength and energy, God, to not only hear your word, but to apply it to our lives. I pray, God, that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. This prayer and all of our prayers we ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 As you you guys know, my um, topic or my responsibility or my punishment today is to push into this topic of what's the role of women in ministry. Now, I'll just tell you, I love God because God deals with all of us different and he uses really some of the craziest things to get our attention. He uses all these kinds of things to shower down the depth of his spirit for us to hear him clearly. Well, 
One of the ways for me is music. Specifically one song, as I think about this subject, I mean, God just parted the cloud and came down and and just spoke to me through James Brown. In 1966, James Brown, he released a very popular song that really caused debate in many generations. And believe it or not, in many theological circles, he says, this is a man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing without a woman or a girl. He said that man-made cars to take us over the road, man-made trains to carry the heavy load, man-made electric light to take us out of the dark, man-made boat for the water like Noah made the ark. You see how God was speaking, right? And then he, he went on back to the top and said, this is a man's world, but nothing. Then he got real passionate, nothing without a woman or a girl. It was interesting because even in that song, though, you know, that's an R&B-ish type of soul song, he understood something that for whatever reason the church is still missing all these years later. Almost 20 years ago when I preached my first sermon, a hot-button topic was the role of women in ministry. And here in 2024, not only um, are, are believers still wrestling through this, dividing over this topic, but many are still missing the heart of Jesus when it comes to such a very important topic. What comes really to mind for me is what would happen if instead of us continuing to argue over the topic, we began to empower the voice of gifted women to do that which God has gifted them to do? What if instead of us trying to convince people of why we do what we do, why we take the positions that we take, we will then allow the word of God, allow the scriptures to speak for itself, meaning all of us um, would just be people who allow the scriptures to be, to be loud spoken over our hearts to hear the voice of God over our opinion. What if instead of making a laundry list of what women can't do, we would begin to have rhythms and flows that intentionally develop women in the areas um, that God has gifted them? Now, I know that um, some are grabbing their purse. If you're a man, your man bag, I guess, and, and you already exiting stage left. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and listen to this to the end. Because I believe that after this, you will understand God's heart, not only for women, but you will begin to think through ways of how even in your own life rhythms, you can begin to empower women for the work of ministry as well. But I want to be clear. I firmly believe that God has placed doctrinal purity on the shoulders of faithful men. But, but, but I also believe that God has gifted all of us within the body, to carry out his call. I want you to know that um, I am unapologetically complementarian, meaning that I firmly believe that that the role of pastor, elder, or bishop is reserved for male leadership, but I believe that, and, 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 I, and I'm sure your pastors affirm this, that a church without women leadership is an imbalanced church. A church without women in significant roles at best 
is a handicapped church. And I, and, and I believe that we, we see Paul resting really in this whole idea as he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.11. He says that he gave, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then he says, then we will no longer be little children, meaning that if we're all or equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body, then we have no excuse then as to why we're continually being grown people acting like kids if we're supposed to be growing in the faith. We all got to work together. God has gifted all of us to use our gifts to grow in the body together. Truth is, whether you are male or female, boy or girl, God desires to use you for his glory and the good of his church. Addressing this big, this, this, this big question, what is the role of women in ministry, I, I, I want to um, make clear to you today, right, that God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. And that's the main point today. That's what I'm going to scream, and I promise you I'm going to scream a little bit because I'm loud by nature, right? God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. Listen, the body of Christ is not only diverse in race, but it's also diverse in gifting. It's diverse in race, but it's also diverse in gifting. Think about it this way. If the body of Christ was all toes, how will we move if we don't have no feet? What will hold the toes? Right? If all of us was arms and we had no hands, we would be grabbing nothing. If the body of Christ was all legs but had no arms, we wouldn't be able to lift or, or carry one another's burdens, right? But we have to begin to think of ministry a different way, right? God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church, right? Um, um, God has gifted all of us to be used for his glory. We even see this, right, spelled out in 1 Corinthians 12, right? He says, now there are different gifts but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord, and there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person, right? Meaning that God gives gifts as he will, not just to you, my brother, but also to you, my sister. If you're a lady, right, if you're here, ladies, and you feel as though God has no use for you in ministry, hear this, he does. He's giving you gifts for his glory. If you are here and you think that, hey, I'm a woman, God has no use for me. There's no role for me in ministry. Listen, you do. You do have a place. That the same God that has gifted your husband, the same God that has gifted your pastor, the same God that has gifted your brother, the same God that is using your uncle to do ministry where, you li where they live, work, and play is the same God that wants to use you in the grocery store, the same God that wants to use you amongst your kids. It's the same God that wants to use you in missional community. It's the same God that wants to use you during Sunday worship. 
What can you do to be used by God? He wants to use you for his glory and for the good of his church. Understand this. There's no distinction between men and women as far as personal worth, intellect, or or, or spirituality are concerned, right? How do we know this? Because Paul told us when he was talking to the church at Galatia. In Galatians 3, 28, he says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, many people use that scripture to try to say, see, Yeah, a woman has a role in ministry because there's no male or female. No, he's not saying that gender is fluid. He's saying salvifically there's no distinction. He saves men, women, boy, girl, black, white, Jew, Greek, whatever. God has the power to save you regardless of your ethnicity or your gender. Therefore, he still wants to use you for his glory. He does. God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. And and Paul addresses this in our text today, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. He addresses this. Now, understand, right, that you got to really remember that Corinthians or, or, or the church at Corinth, it was a messed up church. They had a listening problem in chapter one. They were divided in chapters two and three. Right. My favorite soap opera I used to work with my I used to watch with my grandmother as a kid was young and the restless. Right. I don't have the time to watch it today, but I read it daily. OK. So I guess that's just as bad as an ice bath. Right. So. So. So what's interesting is that the more and more you read about the Corinthian church, you just realize who needs a soap opera when you got the word of God. Right? In chapter 5, a young man sleeping with his daddy's wife. They were suing each other, marriage issues, prideful, even dwelling on past experiences, which really hindered their forward progress. But what I love here is that Paul still called them saints. (laughs) He still called them saints, right? He still knew that God had a work that he wanted to do in them. Really, honestly, it sounds a lot like our culture today. All of these distractions and all of these problems that's causing us to take our eye off the ball, right? The Corinthian church had so many difficult things that they were walking through, but the joy in that is that though they were walking through difficult things, God was still with them every step of the way. Paul, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth to show them how God wants them as believers in Christ to live in the midst of a corrupt culture. I love, right, how how looking at our text here, 1 Corinthians 11, um, right after he ended, um, 1 Corinthians 10, specifically at verse, uh, uh, specifically into 11.1, he tells them to be imitators of Christ, but then he gives them a lesson in communication, right? In verse 1, or in verse 2, in chapter 11, he says, now I praise you or I commend you, right? I was like, man, that was a shift. You tell them imitate Christ. Now you praising them. Now you commending them. Why? I'm like, because he getting ready to tell them something hard. He getting ready to, he getting ready to explain something to them that they ain't going to like. He getting ready to tell like, so, so because I know, right, the culture that you live in, that what I'm getting ready to teach you is going to come up against, right, how you think is going to come up against your experience. Can I tell you, your experience never outweighed the power and the revelation of God's word. He knew that he was getting ready to tell them something difficult, so he says, now I praise you, I commend you, I affirm you, I agree with you because you remember 
You remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He opened up by, by commending them. He first commended them for remembering him in everything. Here's the thing. See, when you make sacrifices for the sake of others and they remember you and appreciate the work that you do, how many of you would agree that that's encouraging? Right? That's what Paul does here. He encourages them. He said, listen, you're remembering some stuff that I told you, and, you and, and you're trying your best to carry on in this. I told you about that boy sleeping with his daddy's wife. You corrected him, and I don't have to tell you about that again because as far as I know, it ain't happening no more, right? He was commending them, right? As the verse went on, he showed that he appreciated them. They, they showed that they appreciated him by holding to what he gave them, and he commended them for it. He commended them for not only remembering him, but also for holding firmly to God's word as he delivered it to them. A few chapters ago, right, Paul um, mentioned um, as being the spiritual father of the church and how he had the responsibility to deliver the truth to them. He told them in 1 Corinthians 4, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel because he was their spiritual father. No one cared for them like he did. So he delivered the word of God to them and was commending them for it. I'm like, why? Why are you commending them, right? Because he, he commended them because they stood firm on the word of God. What, what does this have to do um, with the price of ice in a cold bath? Everything, right? I'm just riding at home today. That's going to get me through the week, right? Here's the thing, right? He... he it has everything to do with what we're talking about because as we walk through this whole thing of what is the role of women in ministry, we got to stand on the word. We got to stand on the word of God, not our experiences. We got to stand on the word of God, not cultural decisions. We got. Let me tell you, um, we, we have to get to a place where we're so comfortable with the truth of God that we never compromise truth for unity. We can't. Because they stood on the word. He was affirming them, right? Yeah, believers are going to make mistakes. We're going to get things wrong, but we still have to stand firm on the word. Yeah, life happens around us, but we must stand firm on the scriptures, right? We see it several places in scripture where we're told to stand firm. Paul was talking to um, the church at Thessalonica, and he said to them, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tradition. Traditions. What are the traditions? It's the word of God. He says, hold firm, stand firm and hold on to the word of God, which you're taught by letter or by word of mouth. But he also told the Corinthian church in chapter 16, he says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Truth be told, y'all, I know things are agitating, but in places of agitation, strength comes through the word of God for us to stand firm on. Last week, y'all, I was on vacation with my wife hanging out in the ATL. And she was like, babe, you want to stay at a hotel or Airbnb? I said, I want to stay at Airbnb. She said, why? Because I want to wash my clothes. I don't want to have to go home with dirty clothes. I have to go home from vacation working. Like, no. But as I was putting my clothes in the washer, they had the see-through glass in the front. And what, what began to happen when I put the clothes in there and I mixed in the substance that was going to clean it, 
it started shaking. And I'm like, man, this is pretty neat. I'm weird like that. I'm like, let me see what the shaking is for. Right. And when I read the instructions, Mark, it said that what the, 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 um, the washer shakes because it agitates the clothes. And what the agitation does, it works together with the cleaning agent to get all of the dirt out of the clothes to ensure that when it's all said and done, it comes out clean. That's why we can't be afraid of agitation, because the more and more culture begins to agitate our faith, we allow our, we allow our faith to be agitated by the culture, but allow the word of God to be the cleaning agent so that even when we get distracted, even when we get frustrated, we always got something to stand on. We got to stand firm on the word. It has to be the word. It has to be the word. See, we must begin to stand firm on the word when it comes to difficult issues such as these, right? One of the biggest problems, though, in the Corinthian church was disorder in public meetings. Some of the women were assuming more freedom that they should have. There was disorder at, at, at the, uh, when they were giving the Lord separate. There was confusion even on the use of spiritual gifts. The church had become greatly in, in, enriched with spiritual gifts, but they were, they were lacking in spiritual grace. They wanted to use their spiritual gifts, but they were lacking in spiritual grace. So Paul, Paul being, being who he was, right, he could have easily solved these problems by issuing mandates or decrees. But instead, he, he began to patiently explain the spiritual principles that supported the teachings that he had given the church. He had a founded argument on the word of God. What am I saying? This argument about the role of women in ministry. It got to be founded on the word, not our feelings. It got to be founded on the word, not our experiences. But the word of God must be our metric. Hear this today. God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. And here in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, he tells us how. We see three ways that God really desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. Number one, God wants to use women to display and honor his order and authority. To display and honor his order and authority. What does this mean? It means that God's desire is for women to demonstrate reverence. It's his desire for women to demonstrate respect. It's his desire for women to demonstrate submission to God's supreme status as divine creator and ruler of the universe. It's interesting that we have become a culture, a culture of church folk, where we shout about God's sovereignty and we get excited to, to have theological debate about God's sovereignty. But when it comes to believing it, when it, when it pertains to roles, all of a sudden God ain't sovereign, as sovereign as we think he is. God's desire is for women to put on display his, and honor his, his order and his authority. Think about it, right? You can begin to process this even if you think about God's relationship with his church. Come here. Um, Ephesians 5, right? Y'all know husbands love your wife how? As Christ loved the church, he gave himself for her. But right above that, it says wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. If we are married to Christ, right, if Christ um, is our groom and we are the bride, then how we submit to Christ then dictates how we view order and authority. 
authority and the way we live out our walk with the Lord, honestly, it puts on display not only our honor for him, but our honor for what he's called us to do. God desires for women to put on display and honor his order and authority. Look at the text, though. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 7. Here's what he says. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every man, or every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if, but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have, hair, have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too, woman is the glory of man. Now, what's happening here, not only a lot of tongue-tying words, but what's happening here, this verse does well at establishing a hierarchy order, right? God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. Now, to understand what Paul is trying to communicate here in this passage, it's important, y'all, that we then begin to grasp the historical and the cultural principles of what was happening in Corinth to help us really apply this today, right? What do we see here? There was definite, there was a definite order of headship in the church. Well, what is that? The father is the head over Christ. Christ is the head of the man. The man is head of the woman. Now, some really begin to interpret um, head to mean origin. But then if we, if we interpret head to mean origin, that would then push us to think that the father uh, uh, that the father originated uh, Christ but that's something we can't accept so in his redemptive ministry the son was subject to the father even though he is equal to the father likewise hear this woman is subject to man even though in Christ she is equal to man so don't miss that right the woman is subject to man, even though in Christ she is equal to man. What am I saying? God has set order and authority in place, and he wants to use the woman to not only display that, but show honor because of it. Keep in mind, though, here that Paul was writing about the relationship within the local assembly, not the world at large. So now what we see here is this dichotomy between the church and the world. Because what's happening is the church is trying to use its position on stuff to dictate how the world operates. But here's the reality. The world going to be the world. But it's time for the church to be the church. Right. If the world is going to be the world, then the church must be um, the church. Right. It is God's plan, y'all, that in the home and in the local church, men should exercise headship under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now. The important fact, y'all, is this. Both men and women must honor the Lord by respecting the symbols of headship, hair and head covering. He uses that here in this text to illustrate, uh, uh, to, to, to bring an illustration and to explain headship. Well, he, he says it. Whenever 
A woman prays or prophesies in the assembly, she must have long hair and she must wear a covering. The man then should have short hair and not wear any covering. Now, this would be a change for Paul, y'all, because devout Christian men always wear a cap when they pray. But, but the man honors his head, Christ, by being uncovered, while the woman honors her head, the man, by being covered. She is showing her submission both to God and to man. And, and her submission to, to, the, to the men's loving leadership, she in turn honors God for his set order and authority. God wants to use women to display and honor his order and his authority. God does not want you women to display that to view yourself as a second-class citizen. He, he, doesn't, you, he doesn't want your role in ministry to be seen as somebody who plays the background. No, he wants to use you on the front line to display his honor and authority amongst all generations. See, here's the thing. The Corinthian women who appeared in assembly really without head covering were actually because of their customs were putting themselves on a low level uh, on a low level uh, on a lower level than the prostitute than the temple prostitutes the prostitutes wore their hair short and they did not wear head covering in public because their hairstyle and manner really announced to others just what they were and what they were offering but the jewish law in the jewish law a woman proved guilty of adultery, had her hair cut off. That's Numbers 5. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, verse 5 and 6, Paul begins to use words to help us really understand. He uses this word shaved, which, which, which really meant that it's all shaved off. He uses this word short, uh, uh, short, which means cut short. But either one of these in their time would have been a disgrace to women. So what Paul does here is he uses this illustration of their custom, something that they will understand to get us, to, uh, to get them and now us to understand the importance of order and authority. That's not saying that now on uh, men and women, right, men got to take their hat off and build. And I got some preferences. I'll talk to you about that later. That's off the record, right? That's not saying that next Sunday, ladies, when you come, right, you got to begin to wear a hat. No, that's not what it's saying at all. He's talking here about authority. He's using that to them as an illustration to understand order and authority, but using that same thing for us to begin to understand order and authority. But here's the reality here. What is, what is a woman's role in that? It's to display and honor what God wants to happen with order and authority. What does what is, what is wearing hats and wearing short hair, how, how does this apply to us today? Why are we talking about this? While we don't have the same circumstances that Paul had to deal with in Corinth, one thing that's clear here as we think through what Paul was trying to get them to see here is that a man or woman out of place is always a hindrance to the work of God. If you are a woman and you are out of place, you are not like, like if you are a woman and you are leading your home, you're out of place. I knew that wasn't going to get an amen, but it's okay. Right? If you are a man and, you're lead and you, have, you have outsourced your leadership to your wife in the home, you're out of place. No man would admit to that because you, you, you can't take my man card, right? But here's the thing. 
a woman or a man out of place is always a hindrance to the work of God. There ought to be modesty in the local church, both in dress and in action. Let me tell you this. I know, right, our culture, the world around us is changing. But, like, we cannot conform to the world unless we lose our testimony as the church. We cannot continue to let the world dictate what we do as a church. But how about we become super comfortable at being the church, super proud to be who God has called us to be and allow how we live, work and worship in the context um, that we live in. Let that change what the world does. Here's the thing. When women are operating effectively in their role and bringing honor to the Lord for his design of order and authority, it puts the power of God on display for all to see. It isn't saying that women are second-class citizens or they play in the background, but what it's really saying is that God has placed women. Hear this. God has placed you on the front line to display his beauty. God has placed you on the front line to display his glory. God has placed you on the front line to display his power. God has placed you on the front line to display his honor and his love for his church. Displaying God's honor and authority really involves a deep and comprehensive commitment to acknowledging God's supreme status, recognizing his divine will, and living in a way that reflects reverence and submission to his guidance. What am I saying? God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. How? By using them to display and honor his order and authority. How are you women displaying and honoring God's order and authority for your life? But not only does he want to use women in that way, but number two, he wants to use women to celebrate his creativity. God wants to use you ladies to to celebrate his creativity. This means that we recognize and appreciate the beauty, the complexity, and the diversity of the natural world as evidence of God's creative power and wisdom. It is a way of acknowledging the divine source of everything that exists. Ladies, God wants to use you to celebrate his creativity. How? How? How do we know this? How do we know that God wants to use women, right, to celebrate um, his creativity and creation? It's right here in the text. Watch what he says, verse 8. I love this. He says, for man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. You're like, that don't make sense. Men don't experience labor pains, right? Let me tell you this. A one push, we'll be dead, right? We, y'all tough. He says... Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man. Here's the creativity. And man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, (laughs) so man comes through woman and all things come from God. God wants to use you, woman, to celebrate his creativity and creation. God's order is based on the fact that man was created first and that the woman was created for man. Now, hear this. Priority does not imply inferiority. It doesn't. Priority does not imply inferiority. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12 that there, is a, there was partnership as well as headship in God's creation. 
There's partnership, yes, but there's also headship in God's creation. The man and the woman are spiritually one in the Lord, and, and, and one cannot do with the other. Our God is so creative in that. The woman may have come from the man at the beginning, but God is so creative that today it is man who is born of woman. You've got to learn to celebrate the creativity of God. God is so creative that he has a way of putting men in check. You think that a woman has no place? Well, well, newsflash, you wouldn't be here without one. It is like man and woman belong to each other. They need each other. God did not create us to be alone. He created us for relationship. God gave us talents and creative minds. And even right in Genesis 1-1, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is creator, and he formed us in his image. He created us. We must learn to celebrate the creativity of God. We have to. When God formed the universe, he could have made a boring environment that only sustained life, but instead he shaped majestic mountains, scenic lakes, vast oceans, awe-inspiring deserts, and coffee. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? He incorporated all of these different things together, showing his creativity. And certainly if God can do something as beautiful as that, he can use women for his glory. Certainly he can. We must learn to embrace that beauty of creativity together. God made us, created us for the context of together. He made us for unity and women. Let me tell you, he does not. Li listen. God does not want you distracted by your what or your how, but he wants you to be encouraged by your why. He does not want you distracted by your what or how, but he wants you to be encouraged by your why. Well, what is your why? Because God created us for his glory. Our heart, y'all, must be one of worship. Why? Uh, uh, men, because God didn't leave you alone to fend for yourself. And women, because God has given you a great responsibility to display his beauty in creation. This should push us to celebrate the Lord for his creativity, right? He noticed, he says in verse 10, right, he talks about angels, right? The question, why was he talking about angels there? Because, right, he wanted us to see, like, his creativity in creation should also fuel our worship. Angels are present in worship, right? Therefore, right, when you begin to think through and process the creativity of God, God is so creative that he allowed broken things to worship him. God is so creative that he allows stinky things to call out his name. God is so creative that even when we mess up and get things wrong, he still give us an opportunity to get right. Uh, what, my, my, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. My dad used to sing in the mail course. Right, male course, they used, hey, they used to wear matching suits, matching ties. Oh, my God, I remember a suit. I promise, this ain't got nothing to do with the sermon, but I got to tell you, listen. They wore a gray suit, and it was shiny. It's like aluminum foil, right? And then they had these yellow ties. Dad, you remember that? Right, it was, it was, <laughs> David, you, yeah, you got me, yeah. So I remember, right, that 
They, 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 they used to have this concert called 100 Men in Black, right? And the whole idea was it was to get 100 men to gather together to worship Jesus and they would wear black, right? Something creative, right? The, a way to get men to understand their role, right? And they used to sing this song. I got to clean up what I messed up. Started my life over again. What does that have to do here? The creativity of God allows men and women to get together to clean up what they messed up. He ain't messed it up, but he gave his life to clean up what you messed up. That's the creativity of God that we got to learn to celebrate. That ought to push us to celebrate the Lord for his creativity. This should push us to worship the Lord properly. And not only in how we lift our hands, but how we conduct ourselves as instruments in the hands of a mighty God. Hear this. God, women, God desires to use you for his glory and for the good of his church. What am I saying? A church without women in roles of ministry is a handicapped church. Women, your gifts are needed. Your voice is needed, right? Your praise is needed. We just don't need you to be administrative. We need you to speak truth to power. We don't just need you to watch the kids, right? We need you to disciple them. Let me just be honest. We need you to pour into us because we jacked up. Corey said he ain't coming back. That's why I'm giving it all right now. (laughs) God desires to use women for his glory and the good of his church. How? Three ways. Number one, he desires to use women to display and honor his order and authority. Number two, he desires to use women to celebrate his creativity and creation. And finally, number three, then I'm done. He desires to use women to totally surrender to him in his word. Watch what he says. Last three verses. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, We have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. I already know what you're thinking. David, this your friend? (laughs) What does these verses have to do with totally surrendering to God and his word? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) In these three verses, it proves that God has made all of us different with distinction that clarifies difference. Yes, there are many ways that we're different. I'll tell you about those later if you ask. But right now, he's showing us the many ways that we're different. The difference that he's talking about here is nature causes us to be able to sometimes know the difference by how nature carries itself. How would I define nature? I would say nature. It's God's power over created things. Nature draws clear distinction. And because nature draws clear distinction, God makes no mistakes. Surrendering totally to God and his word is a willingness to commit to submit yourself to the will and the teachings of God and his word. What does it mean to surrender to God and his word? Surrendering to God and his word is simply submission to his will. Women, 
your role is to surrender to God's will. It means living a life in total obedience to the scriptures. Right? I love what, what Luke said, Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Well, Pastor Mike, don't you think that um, men should totally surrender to God's will too? I do. Well, why are you only talking about women? Because that's my assignment. <laughs> you got to total, totally surrender to the will and the word of God. Submission to his will. Living in obedience to his word. Trusting him. Having faith in him. Being humble. Praying. Like how often do you pray? Well, what's my role in ministry? How do, how do you want a role in ministry when you can't make time to pray? Letting go of self-centeredness. Seeking God's presence. Transformation. Surrendering to God leads to personal transformation. It involves aligning your values and actions with the teachings of God's word, which can result in a more fulfilling and purposeful life. Listen. A church without women leadership is a handicapped church. We have, to, we have to think through ways, not just in heights, but across Christendom, to empower gifted women for the work of ministry. Whether you're a male or female, boy or girl, God desires to use you for his glory and the good of his church. What will happen? If instead of us continuing to argue over the topic of women in ministry, we begin to empower the voice of gifted women to do that which God has gifted them to do. What if instead of us trying to convince people of why we do what we do, we allow the word of God to be our metric? What if instead of making a laundry list of what women can't do, we create rhythms to empower them to do what they can? God desires Ladies, to use you for his glory and the good of his church. How? To display and honor his order and authority. He desires to use you to celebrate his creativity and creation. And finally, he desires to use you in totally surrendering to him and his word. What if, ladies, the men around you had a hard time surrendering to God? Because really, they were actually following you. <laughs> what if you were the conduit that God really wants to use to see the lost really come to him? How do we know that God wants to use you? Because there's, there's ways that God has gifted you and that he's working in you that we can just never do. I'm going to give you an illustration of that. Men got a habit of kicking doors in. Women have this nurturing bent about themselves where while we kicking doors down, y'all just turn the knob and walk in. Just so gentle, so loving, and so caring. And if women are not empowered to glorify God for the good of his church, there is no hope for men to get right what we constantly get wrong. So as you wrestle through this, as you wrestle through this question, hear this. God, God desires 
to use women for his glory and the good of his church. Let's create rhythms in our life where we're allowing God to be made big in all that we say and all that we do. Not only in you as men, but let's make room for the hand of God to rest in the life of women so that they can also be used for his glory. Let's stand together. Father, we love you. We're grateful to be in relationship with you and with one another. And it's our plea that you will help these women to not only know how you desire to use them, but as men, help us to create rhythms where they're developed, not only in what we say, but also in what we do. Let us not diminish them or look down on them because of who they are, but help us to honor you by empowering their gifts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.